Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions, and also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoyed the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Following on from last week's story about Microsoft's mixed earnings call that was a little poor for some of their consumer products like the Xbox division, for example, but did very well for some others like their cloud services. Well, AWS's second quarter financial earnings have now been disclosed with the report that AWS beat estimates and have even hit a historic high of $79 billion for its run rate. This historic high is off the back of a 33% increase in sales in its second quarter to $19.74 billion. In the disclosure, AWS have also vowed to work on increasing its number of availability zones, which already sits at 84. Amazon's chief financial officer, Brian Olszewski, stated, quote, We know AWS is a huge opportunity. It's early days in the cloud adoption curve for companies and governments. We invest with that confidence in mind and customers have responded and we're going to keep investing there, end quote. It's crazy to me to think that they've achieved or reached this $79 billion in sales and yet the cloud adoption is still in its early days. Of course, AWS is an Amazon company and Amazon overall has seen its income decrease in the quarter and versus the same quarter last year, but that's not overly surprising with inflation now hitting hard and the fact that last year was a bumper year for online retailers due to the pandemic. So if you're working in cloud computing, expect to get busier. This week, Microsoft announced that their Ignite conference will be returning to in-person this October. The conference will be held in the Convention Center in Seattle, Washington from October 12th to October 14th. Registration is not yet open, but you can sign up to get notified for when it does open. Of course, as in previous years, sessions and content will also be available online too. To the world of automotive publications for this next story, but AutoEvolution.com reported to its readers that the global chip shortage may start to ease toward the end of this year. The reason this story even caught my attention is down to them citing comments from Logitech, who make very popular PC peripherals. Logitech CEO Bracken Darrell was quoted in the article as saying, that the chip inventory is already improving, and with a little luck, the shortage should come to an end in the third quarter of this year. If it doesn't, then the fourth quarter will almost certainly witness the end of the crisis, at least according to him. Now, this site prefaced the quotes, or this paragraph with the quotes containing the quotes from the Logitech CEO, 
by really talking up the prominence of Logitech in the industry, which was, I know, in my opinion at least, overselling them a little bit. But the article also called out the fact that not all industries may find relief at the same time, with the automotive industry expected to take at least another six months. So I guess we'll see, and I'm sure like even if the supply becomes available, it may take a while until the ship has corrected course as expected. So I guess watch the space. Show sponsor ControlUp have released the ControlUp management pack for VMware VROPS. They've stated it provides dashboards, giving a global view of the relationship between ControlUp resources and lists existing resources, monitors the health, capacity, and performance of ControlUp resources, analyzes storage trends and plan capacity, uh, has comprehensive visibility across the entire IT stack from applications and VMs to the corresponding ControlUp resources, and also helps identify and troubleshoot a variety of ControlUp feature-related issues, as well as other entities that can impact multiple layers of IT. So if you're a ControlUp customer, and you're also using VMware VROPS, then you'll want to check this out for sure. And speaking of VMware, former VMware COO Sanjay Poonen has been announced as the new president and CEO of Cohesity. If you've been in IT, you've probably already seen and heard from Sanjay over the years because he's been quite public facing as the COO of VMware. About Cohesity, Sanjay has said, quote, Cohesity sits at the intersection of three of the highest priority business issues today, cybersecurity, cloud, and data management, and is poised to become a major powerhouse with industry analyst firms naming the company a leader and one of the fastest growing in its category, end quote. So to me, that's pretty positive because like I've said, Sanjay has been pretty prominent in the space. You know, he's appeared, I believe, on like CNBC and all kinds of different, very mainstream, high-level shows. And I'm excited for him, for Cohesity, and my friends who work there. Tom'sHardware.com reported this week that Intel will be winding down its Optane business. The move incurs a $559 million inventory impairment or write-off. In a statement to Tom's Hardware, an Intel spokesperson said, quote, we continue to rationalize our portfolio in support of our IDM 2.0 strategy. This includes evaluating divesting businesses that are either not sufficiently profitable or not core to our strategic objectives. After careful consideration, Intel plans to cease future product development with its Optane business. We are committed to supporting Optane customers through the transition." End quote. Pat Gesslinger cited an industry shift to CXL-based architecture as a reason for winding down the Optane business. Intel had already stopped producing its Optane storage products for client PCs. So expect some big announcements from Intel around modernizing in this space. Microsoft have just released two new Windows 11 22H2 builds in line with the new preview release cadence. Thorough.com reports the most notable changes in this week's builds are related to security and networking. It stated that Microsoft have enhanced Microsoft Defender for Endpoint's ability to identify and intercept ransomware and advance attacks. And on the networking front, 
These builds improve how storage replication works over low bandwidth and congested wide area networks. When enabled, the SMB compression feature has also been improved to compress a file regardless of its size. These two builds also fix an issue that was causing Windows to display tablet mode features for some devices that do not have touchscreen. So definitely, I mean, the security update sounds pretty good, but that SMB optimization feature sounds like probably the most interesting to me. I think I covered some of the SMB innovations on server 2022, so maybe some of that's making its way over to Windows Desktop OS 2. VMware has warned customers to patch a critical authentication bypass security flaw affecting local domain users in multiple products and enabling unauthenticated attackers to gain admin privileges. The flaw, which is CVE-2022-31656, was reported by Petrus Viet of VNG Security, who found that it impacts VMware Workspace ONE Access, Identity Manager, and vRealize Automation. According to BleepyComputer.com, VMware have evaluated the severity of this vulnerability as critical with a severity score of 9.8 out of 10. And if you can't patch right away, there is a temporary workaround available for customers who cannot patch their appliances. And you can find that. I'll share a link to that with this episode. And you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 241. And a quick story here, but Citrix have released Cumulative Update 1 for the LTSR 2203 version of Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop. It is reported to fix more than 30 issues across several components, including storefront, PVS, session recording, Linux VDA, and profile management. I know a lot of people, at least in my own discussions at Synergy and just from Citrix user groups, take a different approach when it's LTSR. Some immediately take on the cumulative updates, some hold off for a while, some don't take them unless there's an issue with their environment that is specifically fixed in a cumulative update. But regardless, it's good to know that there's a cumulative update released and it does fix some issues with some of those components listed. Software engineer Stephen Lacey raised the flag this week that there is a widespread malware attack targeting GitHub repositories. So. He stated it's a malware attack. I know that I think GitHub tried to maybe temper that a little bit and just state that essentially, yeah, it's someone is infiltrated and is like creating clones and messing up repositories, but not necessarily doing anything that's huge, significant risk, I guess. It's more making a mess of like the history for the different requests on the GitHub repositories and that sort of thing. But in Stevens' findings, he stated over 35,000 repositories were hit by the attackers, and the projects included Crypto, Golang, Python, JS, Bash, Docker, and Kubernetes. Steven provided several examples of repositories with these mysterious commits that I mentioned, and most of these commits seem to be innocuous, like messages such as bump version to 0.3.11. So unless you were scrutinizing that, you might not even realize that that was not from the legitimate author or an actual legitimate request. Some of the repository histories have included commits from the original author as well. So makes it a little more obfuscated to figure out, you know, which ones were manipulated. 
and said that others, the user didn't even exist that made the commits. It's also said that attackers have created fake organizations and repositories and pushed clones to legitimate projects of GitHub from those uh, fake repos. At the time of this recording, it appears that GitHub have tackled innocuous commits and clones, but maybe the story will develop further in the coming days, so tune in next week. <laughs> I might have to cover it again, but we'll see. Microsoft Teams have added native Apple Silicon support with the ability or the support rolling out incrementally. So it's not something you could just go out and grab if you're on that M1 or M2. You can't just upgrade to the supported version right away. You just have to wait until it trickles out to you, unfortunately. And last news story for the week, and it's on the business side. Fortune.com have reported this week that Spotify who famously instituted a new company work model back in February of last year, have updated on the progress of said policy. And if you didn't catch the episode where I covered it last year, it was the work from anywhere policy, which lets their employees determine how often they work from the office and where they work as long as the company has an operation there. Spotify also changed how it set its salary bands, calibrating by country rather than by city or region. A benefit that was appreciated by employees, with around 6% of whom moved after the policies in statement. Which, yeah, I could imagine. You know, if you're living in maybe New York or San Francisco and your family's maybe in Nebraska or somewhere like that, then heck yeah, it's a lot cheaper in Nebraska and you probably want to live close to family if you're at that point of life. Why not take advantage of it? You know, that is if Spotify had a presence at the time in Nebraska, but I'll get to that. Spotify said that it has experienced lower turnover compared to pre-pandemic levels and increased diverse representation. It's expanded beyond New York and California and is now registered in 42 of the U.S. states. In Europe, the platform has increased its presence outside its Stockholm headquarters to Germany, Spain, and the Netherlands. Spotify credits these changes to its return to office initiative. Attrition at the company was 15% lower in the second quarter of 2022 compared to the same quarter in 2019. What's more, Spotify says its location flexibility has helped the company meet DEI objectives with roughly half of new hires coming from a location outside of Spotify's main hubs in New York City and Los Angeles. So if Nebraska is one of those 42 states, <laughs> that will work out for that fictitious employee. Pretty cool. Obviously, maybe this is only something that could be achieved by very large companies with the resources for this, uh, or possibly at least organizations large enough to pay for like a global HR entity like Globalization Partners, for example. But very, very cool stuff. And now, this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. My buddy Ruben Sprout shared an excellent curated list that's maintained by Rich Will that has more than 800 free computer science courses with video lectures. And it's on a GitHub repository. It covers things like programming, databases, artificial intelligence, machine learning, security, robotics, graphics, and more. The awesome Jim Moyle has created and shared a PowerShell module to mount, dismount, and discover SimFS disk images. So SimFS is the later or newest 
in the formats supported for MSIX app attach. Following on with another great person, Guy Leach highlighted this week that Power Toys has a mechanism via keyboard shortcut for setting a window to always be on top, which can be useful for troubleshooting things. Yeah, I, I like Power Toys. I've talked about it quite a bit and I cover like new releases on the podcast because I do find it of interest to myself since I use it. If you're not using it yet and you work on Windows all day, definitely check it out. There's some really nice features in there. Swift on Security tweeted this week that they highly encourage every IT person to go through and understand every Nearsoft tool. They say that you will come away with a great appreciation for depth of Windows instrumentation available. Dennis Mormon tweeted this week, that if you want to block Microsoft Teams for some users with FSLogix app masking, make sure to include the accounts system, network, and network service in your rule assignment and don't apply to those accounts. Otherwise, Teams will not run optimized in VDI mode. Niels Koch this week blogged on Intune Devices Report via Graph and Teams. And I'm seeing a lot of content out there at the moment around Microsoft Graph. Um, I know there was another blog article about moving away from the PowerShell module for Azure Active Directory and using Graph as well. So I expect to see more content around Graph going forward. Jan Tietget tweeted this week a warning that if you are upgrading from older versions and get stuck in an authentication loop with a radius of the RF web UI, if you're using Citrix, um, set the client timeout to 720 minutes in the client experience tab for your session profile. And this is related to CTX 457836. Jani Kreinhardt blogged this week a summary of the Intune management extension. So if you're into Intune or maybe you're not and you're currently using MECM but looking at Intune, uh, check out this to learn about the management extension. And to promote a couple of my own blog posts this week, I created a post on SECM application packaging options years ago for Algos Technology. And during my three month sabbatical, I revisited some of my old blog posts that I did for Algos and have updated them. Um, They should be slowly getting released. I need to kind of go through and capture screenshots for some and just maybe do one final read through. But I did get that published, uh, an update for the application packaging options of SECM, but now looking at MECM and also a little bit of Microsoft Endpoint Manager or Intune as well. So if you'd like to learn about you know, patching, compliance, application packaging, and delivery with MECM, and maybe how it compared with previous versions, check out that blog post and I'll share that. On last week's episode of the podcast, I talked about part one of a series of blog posts that I was doing around application updates and uh, deploying application updates. Well, part two has been released and this one was pretty cathartic. In it, I go through an actual real world scenario that happened to me when I was working at a relatively small insurance company uh, where one of my colleagues was asked to push an application update um, very late in the day. It hadn't been thoroughly tested He was just told he had to get it done. There was no resisting and he did it. There was a problem and it cost 
potentially a lot of money. Hey, maybe it would have saved them money too. <laughs> maybe something would have gone wrong if that application could have been used that day. But of course, you know, they say, well, you cost this much lost productivity. We're unable to do billing for this long. Therefore, we estimate this is how much we've lost. And they wrote them up. And that upset me. That upset my colleague to the point I didn't even mention in the blog post. But he actually walked off the job. He saw that email um, about him being officially written up. He stood up. He was working in the cubicle across from me. Stood up, came over, shook my hand, and said, you know, good working with you. Goodbye. I was like, well, uh, you leaving for the day? Like, no, 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 I'm done. And he walked off. And that was the last time he worked there. Not the last time I saw him, but the last time he worked there, I stayed in touch with him afterwards. So I... I wrote a blog post around that and it was a cathartic experience. I think a lot of people who are working in IT, particularly on the application deployment side of things, this should probably resonate with them. And I kind of took like a lessons learned, like how could I have used today's technology to help avoid that situation, which it was a BS situation. He should never have been put in that position in the first place, but yeah. <laughs> Shout out and rest in peace to my buddy, Pat. Ugo Kalk this week blogged on automatically creating applications for Microsoft Intune. So I've mentioned a few times on the podcast and also in the blog that I just mentioned that I did for Algus Technology on Intune Win Packages because it gives you a more feature-rich package format to deploy with Intune or Microsoft Endpoint Manager. So check out this blog post and the accompanying tool for helping you get your EXEs and MSIs quickly and easily into the Intune Win format. The awesome Dr. Benny Trich shared his EUC score toolset has been updated to version 2207. And it contains updated samples for visualizing and testing HTML5. And it's something that I've used in the past for trying to generate load um, when doing some of the real-time testing that I did for Controller. Awesome product. Check it out. Thomas Thornton blogged on writing reusable Terraform modules. And I think I mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast, I was like, wow, I'm covering all this stuff about Terraform. Seems really well loved, but I never used it. I actually did use it this week. It is kind of cool. It's actually pretty similar to Kubernetes, which I wasn't expecting. I never really covered it from that angle. And I'd never seen anyone mention how kind of similar it is in its approach. But yeah, I found it very simple. Obviously, to me, it seems like a big advantage with that over, say, maybe Azure Bicep is the fact that it supports multiple different cloud providers. Um, I need to also go back and do more with Bicep, though. I only touched on it. So, yeah, kind of cool. If you haven't tried Terraform yet, try it out. There's some really good resources for learning it online. And this is just one of them. Nathan McNulty shared that Microsoft have their own Azure AD assessment tool, which I think I actually featured on the podcast before. But if you didn't know about it and you want to assess your Azure Active Directory, then check this out. Finally, Microsoft have shared an update to their samples container page with a new container sample that is a mock-up of a shopping cart app built in ASP.NET Core Blazor server with Orleans. So if you're not familiar with Azure containers and you want to try out with just 
pre-canned sample container apps. There's a new one in there that might suit your use case and it's a shopping cart app. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening.